Well, good morning. It is a privilege to stand up here and preach God's word this morning. Before we get started, I just wanted to say I'm always up here leading music, and I love it, but it was a really a, a real privilege just to to be in the pew and to sing songs with my brothers and sisters, doing what Ephesians calls us to do, encouraging one another in the Lord. It was, it was awesome. Turn in your Bibles, please, with me to Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. We, as a church, have been working through the first chapter of Philippians throughout the month of August, and Lord willing, we will be wrapping up our study of Philippians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 27 through 30. Brothers and sisters, we live in dark days. Do you ever feel afraid as a Christian of the present age we live in, where darkness is so rampant and real in our society? Do you ever wonder how you should behave on a daily basis in the midst of this darkness and what seems like oppression? How we should behave daily? How we should behave here in the church together as we gather to worship? Paul addresses this in our passage today, and he gives us us direction and encouragement and hope for our walk with Christ in the midst of difficult and dark times. But before we get into God's word, would you join me in a word of prayer? God, we need you. Your word, you tell us, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Help us, Father, to understand your word. Help us to desire your word this morning. Help us to be changed by your word this morning. I pray that you would be with me May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight this morning. Guide us with your Holy Spirit. Change us, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin in verse 27. Paul begins by saying, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he uses the word only, and what Paul's doing here is he is transitioning. In verses 1 through 26 of chapter 1, Paul has been giving a report about himself to the church of Philippi. He's been reporting of his situation. He's telling them that he's been in prison. He's telling them that he's praying for them. He's reporting about himself. Last week, the culmination of his report is what Mr. Baum preached about. He says to the Philippian church, he's reporting to them, he says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And here in verse 27, he's switching from reporting about himself. And what he's doing is he's now addressing the Philippians directly. In fact, in verse 27, 27, we find Paul's first direct command or exhortation to the Philippian believers. And what he's doing too is he's switching from the, the future in verse 26, and he's bringing it back to the present. Look at verse 26. He says, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So in verse 26, Paul is looking forward to with the Philippians that day when he will be together with them again, and their joy will grow. And in the meantime, he says, only 
Now, one commentator puts it this way, but in the meantime, before I get there, let this be what I hear about you. So Paul here is transitioning in verse 27, and he says only, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So our first point this morning, we are to live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This phrase here, let your conduct be worthy, in the Greek it's literally behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. And this would have been an effective way for Paul to bring across this truth to the Philippians because the city of Philippi was a Roman colony. And even though it was about 800 miles away from Rome, it was still a Roman colony, and the citizens of Philippi were granted Roman citizenship. And along with that came all the privileges and all the rights of being a Roman citizen. And the town of Philippi, the city of Philippi, was known for, one, being very Roman, and it was known for being proud of being Roman. And what Paul's doing here is he's using that and he's telling them, behave, yes, as citizens of Rome, but you are to behave as a citizen of Rome in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He goes on to tell them that their citizenship is now in heaven. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.19, Paul says something similar to this, saying, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. One commentator puts it this way, Paul is saying, live in the Roman colony of Philippi as worthy citizens of your heavenly homeland. So brothers and sisters, Paul is calling the Philippians and he is calling us Even though we are, yes, American citizens, and we are proud of it, I am an Argentine citizen, and I am very proud of that, as many of you know. Even though I am Argentine, even though you guys are American, we are to behave as citizens of heaven. We are to conduct ourselves, we are to live, and we are to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And really quick, before we go on, maybe you're here this morning, And you're hearing us say we are to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And maybe you don't know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. The gospel tells us this, that there is a king. He is God. He has made everything and everyone. And he is holy and perfect and righteous. And we are his subjects. He has made us. And we have rebelled against God. We have rebelled against the king. We have disobeyed him. We have gone our own way. We have sinned. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also tells us that the penalty for our sin, the penalty for our rebellion against God is death. And because we are in rebellion against God, we cannot do anything within ourselves to make us right with the king again. For we are now rebels. We are separated from God. Our relationship with God has been broken. But the gospel that we're talking about here, the good news, is that the king has sent his own son to come into the world and to take our place and to bear our penalty and our judgment so that 
When we believe in Jesus Christ, when we repent and turn from our sin and trust in him, we now are saved from our sins. And we become children of the king. And therefore, now when we trust in him, we become citizens of heaven. We are made right with God. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are called, brothers and sisters, to walk worthy of. So, tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up early, I'm going to grab my coffee, I'm going to get in my car, and I'm going to drive to work. And many of us will do the same thing, whether you like coffee or whether you don't. Are you going to behave tomorrow at work As a Christian, are you going to behave, conduct yourself, live as a citizen of heaven? Are you going to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel? Brothers, when you are tempted to to be on your phone and to, to lust, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. When we are tempted with anger and frustration in our daily lives, when we are impatient with our children, remember, we are to conduct, we are to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are called not only to be citizens of the country in which we are in, but rather and greater than that, we are called to behave as citizens of heaven. That is what Paul is is telling us to do here. So as you go through your weak. Think of the difference in how a citizen of heaven behaves and how a citizen of earth does. But notice quickly before we go on, we don't behave in a manner worthy of the gospel to become citizens, but we have this, we behave this way because we are citizens. Christian, don't forget that. Don't forget that as you seek to walk in a manner worthy of Christ day after day after day, don't forget that you are not doing so to gain God's approval. To use a sports analogy, we don't play hard to make the team. We are already on the team, and we play hard because we are already on the team. So as you strive to walk and conduct yourself, as Paul says here, in a manner worthy of the gospel, Remember that we do so not to gain God's favor, but rather we already have God's favor in Christ. And so therefore, we now walk as beloved children in a manner worthy of the gospel. But what does this look like in the church? Because after all, Paul isn't just addressing individuals, but he is addressing the church of Philippi together. What does it look like for a church together to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we'll see here, there are three things that Paul says he wants to hear about the Philippian church, which correspond with our living worthy of the gospel. Look at verse 27 again with me. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Why? So that whether I come and see you or I, I am absent, I may hear of your affairs. And there's three things that he wants to hear of them. One, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation in that from God. So the first thing that Paul wants to hear about the church of Philippi, what does it look like to walk as a church worthy of the gospel? 
We are to stand firm, to stand fast in one spirit. This has the idea of soldiers or gladiators holding their position on the front line and standing firm against the enemy. And notice, we are to stand firm together. We are to stand firm with that person that is next to you in the pew, with that brother and sister that's next to you in the pew. You are to stand firm with them, and you are to stand firm in one spirit. Ephesians tells us that there is one God, one gospel, one truth. We all have the one spirit, the Holy Spirit. So my brother and sister in Christ who is next to me, they are indwelt by the same Holy Spirit that I am indwelt indwelt with, and I am to stand fast and firm with them. He goes on to say in verse 27, stand firm and then stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the sake of the gospel. So number one, we are to stand fast in the spirit. Number two, what does this look like? With one mind, striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel. This has the idea, the idea of striving pictures someone competing with maximum effort in an athletic context, context such as wrestling or running. Brothers and sisters, first we are to stand fast together side by side, and now we are to strive together. The ESV says it's strive together or strive side by side together. What for? What's at stake here? Why should we be striving together and standing firm for the sake of of the gospel of Christ. We are to stand together for the sake of the gospel, for the faith of the gospel. And that idea that he says there, we are to strive together for the faith of the gospel, just means that not only is it the gospel, but the faith of the gospel is everything that the gospel entails. All the teaching of the apostles and the teachings of scripture, the gospel and everything that comes with it. We are to strive together We are to strive together for the gospel. In times of hardship, it is our responsibility, it is the Christian's responsibility to fight, to strive for unity for the sake of the gospel. But what does this, what does it look like? How do we strive together as a church? How do we stand firm? How do we strive with one mind? Look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 with me. Paul says something very similar to what he is commanding in this chapter. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. How? With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another, in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. What does it look like for us as a church to stand fast and to strive together side by side? We must be lowly and gentle with one another. We must be long-suffering and patient. We must bear with one another. We must endeavor, he says it again, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. There it is again. We are to strive together for in the one Spirit in the bonds of peace. Look with me also at Philippians chapter 2. He continues in chapter 2 speaking of what does this look like to strive together for unity 
Philippians 2, verses 2 through 4. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. And there it is again, one of one mind. How do we do this? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That is what it looks like to strive together for the gospel, brothers and sisters. That, it, what, that is what it looks like to stand firm together. In, the, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we see these truths work themselves out practically in the very church of Philippi. Look at chapter 4 with me, verses 1 through 3. We see what this looks like practically for the Philippian church. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast. There it is again. In the Lord, beloved. Then he says, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche. What? To be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We see these truths that Paul's commanding the church at Philippi. We see these truths work themselves out practically in this way. So, is this your attitude when you gather with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is this what characterizes you as a member of this body, of this group of believers? Are you characterized by standing fast with those brothers and sisters in the pew next to you? Are you characterized by striving together side by side? In our interactions with one another, are we, as Ephesians called, are we lowly, humble, gentle? Do we bear with those who maybe we, we just don't agree with or we don't get along with or we just think they're weird? Do we strive with them? Do we seek to pursue unity with them? Do we place others and the affairs of others before our own affairs and our own concerns, as he says in Philippians chapter 2? So what will, what will it look like for us here at Limerick Chapel to stand firm in one spirit and to, and to strive side by side for the gospel? What will it look like for you to pursue unity as you gather with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Maybe for some of you it will mean, like Yodia and Syntyche, that you need to agree with a fellow brother and sister in the Lord. Maybe that means you have to have a conversation with them and humbly and patiently express your view of whatever it is and be willing to listen and be open to what they have to say so that you, together with them, will agree in the Lord. Maybe it means putting aside your own musical preferences for the preferences of those who are worshiping next to you, whether that be someone that's older than you or whether that be someone that is next to you. Teens, maybe this means you no longer look down and maybe ignore those kids who are younger and therefore less cool than you. Maybe it means you seek to love them, to talk to them, to be an example of godliness to them. 
older folks, maybe this means reaching out to those who are younger than you, initiating conversations and questions and looking for opportunities to impart wisdom and love, to do as scripture commands and have the older people teaching the younger people. And we who are younger people, are we striving for unity, striving for the sake of the gospel, and willing and eager to learn from those who have gone before us and are older than us? But let's get even more real. We as a church are in the process of examining and renovating our church documents. And I know that this process will probably result in some conflict for us as a body. I know myself, I will most likely throughout this process, I will either probably be impatient or I may have some concerns or I might have some disagreements with why we are doing this, how we are doing this, the fact that we're doing this. What will our attitude be throughout this process? Will I, will we stand firm in one spirit? Will we strive together? Will we be patient, loving, humble, willing to learn and listen, and also willing to speak the truth in gentleness and love? Brothers and sisters, may we here at Limerick Chapel as a body be characterized by standing fast together and by working hard together, striving side by side. Why? For the gospel. May we pursue and fight and work for unity amongst ourselves here at the chapel. There's one more way. There's one other thing that Paul says what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Look at verse 28. So what does it look like? One, to stand firm. Two, to strive together. And three, verse 28, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Now, who are the Philippians' adversaries that they are not to be afraid of? It could be a couple things. The city of Philippi, because it was very Roman and it was a Roman colony, they were known for loving Caesar, the ruler of Rome, and for worshiping Caesar, for saying that Caesar is Lord. That is why First of all, this, this would have created adversaries and conflict for the church at Philippi because as believers, they now no longer call Caesar as Lord, but they call Jesus Christ Lord. Can you imagine the, the social pressures on you as you go throughout and your whole society worships the leader, worships Caesar, and you now stand in stark contrast and difference. That is why Paul in Romans says that when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. That meant something very difficult for them to confess that Jesus was Lord and not Caesar was Lord. That could have been one of the complex conflicts or one of their adversaries. Think also about what Pastor Harris preached about two weeks ago. Remember that there were people either within the Philippian church or around there that they were preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition, and the whole point of them preaching the gospel and living this way was to try to add pain and suffering to Paul, seeking to add to his 
imprisonment. That could also be some of the adversaries which he is talking about here. And he is commanding the Philippian church and he is commanding us that no matter what adversaries we may have, whether that is false teachers in the church or whether that is the pressures of society around us, we must not be afraid. Or as it says here, you must not be in any way terrified of your adversaries. Brothers and sisters, we need boldness. We must not be afraid of our adversaries. Two things, he says, will happen when we are not afraid of our adversaries. Number one, it is a sign to them of their destruction. So when we are not afraid of those who are our adversaries in the Lord, it is a sign to them. They are aware that they will one day be destroyed. It is a sign of their destruction. And number two, it is a sign to us, the positive side of it, of our salvation. When you are not afraid of your adversaries, when you are bold in God, when he helps you not to be afraid, it, it, it works in us. It is a sign to, of us, to us of our salvation. And salvation here is not just salvation, meaning we become a Christian, we are saved, but has the idea of glorification, of total salvation. So it does two things for us. It is a sign to them of their their destruction, and it is a sign of our salvation. And our salvation, which comes from God, he says, and that from God. So those are the three ways in what it looks like for us as a church to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Stand fast in one spirit, strive together for the faith of the gospel, and we must not be afraid of our adversaries. And he picks up on this thought of not being afraid and of adversaries in verse 29. So our, our first point, we must live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Our second point, we must live content to suffer for the gospel. Look at verse 29 with me. For to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So again, point number one, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Point number two, we are to live content to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 29. For you, it has been granted in behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him. By the way, did you know that when you believe in Jesus, that was granted to you by God for Christ's sake? Brothers and sisters, we have been called and chosen from before the foundation of the world. And God in his mercy, as Ephesians tells us, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God has made us alive together with him. He has granted us faith and repentance. Ephesians tells us that faith is a gift of God. Grace is a gift of God. And he says here, it has been granted to you not only to believe, but part of believing is also it has been granted for us to suffer. Paul here, when he speaks of suffering, he is not speaking of just suffering in a general sense. He's not speaking of suffering that we experience in the world as far as sickness and 
fatigue and just daily struggles and suffering. What he's talking about here is we as Christians, part of the gospel is that we as Christians will suffer persecution or malalignment for the sake of Christ. And we know this from the context of the book itself. Paul himself is writing this epistle to the Philippian church from prison. And he's not in prison because he did something bad. He's in prison because he's a Christian, because he's preaching the gospel. And he says this to them in verse 30. He says, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me, or the ESV says it, which you saw I had, in which you now hear I have. What is that conflict that Paul has? Well, he's in prison, and he's saying, you share with me in that same conflict. So Paul here is teaching us that we will suffer persecution and malalignment for the sake of Christ. This idea just flies directly in the, face, in the face of the prosperity gospel, does it not? Not only that, this idea of suffering persecution for the sake of Christ goes against so much of what Christianity is today here in America. Brothers and sisters, the idea of suffering for the gospel should not be something new or surprising to us. First Peter 4, 12-13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Or Acts 4.22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Or 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So four observations, four observations on this truth. First, when you believe in the gospel, and especially when you seek to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, you will suffer persecution, not you might. We will suffer persecution. Jesus himself said in John 15, 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Part of what following Jesus means is to suffer persecution for that. Matthew 10, 25, Jesus again says, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub or the devil, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have you ever experienced persecution or malignment for the sake of Christ, this passage here is telling us that if we are a Christian and if we seek to live worthy of the gospel, we will suffer persecution, not we might. I had to ask myself this as I was studying and preparing for this passage. I just had to examine my life and ask myself, have I ever suffered any kind of persecution for the sake of the gospel? 
And if not, if I have never suffered for the sake of the gospel, if I have never been persecuted for the sake of the gospel, does that mean I am not a believer? Brothers and sisters, I think this is a good question to ask yourself. Paul tells us that it is good to test ourselves and to see if we are in the faith. Have you ever experienced any kind of persecution and suffering for the sake of Jesus? John Piper says this, if we never taste any affliction or persecution or malaligning for Christ's sakes, we probably are not pressing into the darkness of the world for Christ as far as we should. But what does it look like? We live in America. We don't necessarily, it's getting more so, but we don't experience the persecution that some of our brothers and sisters in Christ on the other side of the world experience. Our society is growing more and more hostile against Christianity, but what does it look like for us to suffer for the sake of Christ here in America? Disapproval, loss of opportunities, loss of respect, loss of friendship, loneliness, humiliation, misunderstandings. Persecution today in America may not be a prison sentence or a death sentence, though it may be that someday, but, in may, but it may mean suffering the disapproval or loss of respect of your coworkers, your family, even your friends you were once close to, because you stand for the whole truth of the Bible. If they know what we believe in, they will consider us outdated, judgmental, homophobic, unnatural, even foolish. You may be scoffed at, you may be ignored or ostracized by loved ones, you may be deprived of promotions or leadership opportunities you were once hoping for. Perhaps that is some of the ways in which we here in America are beginning to and do suffer for the sake of the gospel. One of the issues facing us here in America as Christians right now is this whole issue of homosexuality and transgenderism. This issue is affecting us as believers. Alistair Begg, a pastor, speaking on this issue, said this, in our society today, homosexual and transgender people are either hated or they are affirmed. Those are the only two options. Either you hate me or you affirm me. The Christian actually does neither. We do not hate, but we, nor do we affirm. We cannot hate because of God's word, and we cannot affirm because of God's word. And we have to be prepared, he says, to say that we are unprepared to rewrite the Bible in order to accommodate a society that needs the Bible and that needs the Jesus who is the focus of the Bible. Saints, when you seek to live and walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, it will go against the grain and the culture of our society and of our world. We are called to be salt and light as Christians. And the Bible tells us that men hate the light and they love darkness rather than the light. 
So the more that you grow in your faith, and especially the more that you seek to live worthy of the gospel in your daily life, the more you will face opposition from your society and the world that you live in. Second observation, and it's similar to the first one. Are you willing to endure persecution for the sake of Christ? This verse in verse 29, it really makes us ask ourselves, what do we believe? Is your faith real? Do do you hold to the things that you say you hold to in the face of trials and persecution? I had to ask myself this too. Just, it's good to ask ourselves these probing questions. I I have a young family. I'm, I'm, God is, is directing us. Am I for the sake of the gospel, if it comes to this, am I willing to lose my job for, for Jesus? A- am I willing to decrease my standard of living for Jesus? Am I willing to, to be persecuted for Jesus? Am I willing to lose everything for the sake of Jesus? Brothers and sisters, it is good for us to ponder these difficult truths and to ask ourselves these questions and to see what we believe and what we really hold to. In Matthew verses 10, 37 through 39, Jesus says this, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So, second observation, ask yourself, are you willing to endure this persecution for the sake of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to do as Jesus commands and take up your cross daily and follow him? Third, we are not masochists as Christians. We don't, we don't pursue pain. We don't long for and pursue suffering or loss. Rather, brothers and sisters, we pursue love, and we pursue Jesus Christ. So we do not purposely pursue pain. We pursue Jesus, and suffering naturally comes with that. Why? Because we are no longer citizens of this world but we are citizens now of heaven, and that will clash with the way the citizens of this world are. Fourth, when we do suffer persecution, and we will, remember, you can endure it and do so gladly, for it is ordained by God. It has been granted to us, not only to believe, but to suffer for his sake. So, Perhaps you right now, for the sake of Jesus, are enduring suffering and persecution. Brothers and sisters, this passage gives us hope. God is not, he is not out of control. These things are not beyond his control. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is good. He is just. He is right. And he is granting this suffering for us. But, but why is God 
doing what he does in verse 29. Why does God grant us to suffer? Is God just this mean deity who enjoys the pain of his children and that is why he grants us suffering? Listen to Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, here it is, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That is the point of Christ, God, granting us to suffer for his sake. Romans 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. Why? In order that, here's the purpose, that we also may be glorified with him. So the fourth observation, brothers, we will suffer. We will suffer, but when we do so, we can endure it and we can endure it gladly because we know that our suffering persecution has been granted to us by God. And the purpose of him granting us to be persecuted is our sanctification and our glorification. When we are persecuted for our faith, it's not meaningless. It's working for us. It's producing something within us. It is Christ working in us to glorify us. Now, I just wanted to address, if you are here this morning and you do not call yourself a Christian, you do not believe in Jesus, maybe you're hearing what the truths of this verse are saying and you might ask yourself, is this what you guys as Christians really believe? You guys are crazy. You really believe that you, you, you must suffer persecution for the sake of the gospel? Is, is that what you guys believe? That makes no sense. I just want to ask you something. Is there anything or anyone in your life that you are willing to endure suffering for? If not, your life does not have much meaning. Don't we find in life that the things that are most precious to us, we are willing to endure suffering for? Think about it. We are willing to endure suffering for our wives, for our children, for perhaps even our jobs. The things that are most precious to you in your life, you are willing to endure suffering and pain for. Friend, perhaps Jesus is so amazing, so wonderful, so loving. His salvation is so freeing, so total that we are willing, when we trust in him, to endure suffering gladly for his sake. Friend, Jesus is that. He is the most precious thing you can ever obtain, and he is worth suffering for. Brothers and sisters, when we 
go out from here and we live our daily lives when we go to work and when we interact with one another, remember, we must walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. We must behave not merely as citizens of America, but rather of citizens of heaven. We must stand firm together. We must strive together for the sake of the gospel. We must not be afraid of our adversaries. And we must know that part of the gospel is to suffer for Jesus Christ. And you, when you seek to live for Christ, you will experience persecution for that. When you do so, remember that God has granted that to you. I thought it appropriate to close with these verses from Romans chapter 8. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And we know that for those who are loved, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. God. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Help us as we strive to live for you and endure persecution for your sake. Help us to do so gladly. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths of your word. Thank, thank you that you are a loving God who is sovereign and in control and you work all things together for good to those of us who love you. Be with us now as we go home. In Jesus' name, amen.